Welcome to Welcome to the Hollow Manor. I'm Max. And I'm Tina. And we're here to talk about Season 2, Episode 3 of Charmed. The Painted World. Okay, so I know last episode's like famously supposed to be the best episode of Charmed, but I kind of like this one better. Well, this episode was directed by Kevin Inch who directed, previously we've seen, Feats of Clay. Oh, oh. And When Bad Warlocks Go Good. Eh. And was written by Constance M. Birch. Ah. So. Ah, okay. Yeah, this, honestly, this is sort of what I feel like Charm should be more of. It's, uh, it, it doesn't just rely on them, you know, using the power of three to defeat the enemy. It's, I don't think they even use the power of three in this episode. Yeah, it's it's a situation that they need to get out of. It's not just a warlock they need to defeat. But, uh, yeah. I really, no, I really enjoyed this episode. Uh, it's, those of you who listen to both this podcast and our Farscape podcast might know that I'm a little disappointed that it's going to be a few weeks before we get to the Farscape trapped in a painting episode. I was hoping they would line up. But, alas, they're a few weeks off. Being trapped in a painting seems like the sort of uh, scenario that doesn't show up much in stuff anymore. Uh, uh, I don't know, because we, uh, I don't know how much modern TV we watch, but this does seem like it was a kind of go-to scenario for genre shows around the time. There is a episode of BoJack Horseman where Princess Caroline fantasizes that she is living in a Thomas Kincaid painting. I guess that's pretty close, but... Like, is it just me? Was this not a thing? I mean, I don't think it happened in Buffy or Angel, but I feel like it's a genre thing to get trapped in paintings or to have someone trapped in a painting. It totally is. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was a thing in the Roald Dahl book, uh, The Witches, but... No, I, I think getting trapped in a painting is a classic. And it, it's not exact, but Harry Potter does edge on that with the people in paintings, but... Oh, yeah. There's a Red Dwarf episode, this is a little different, but there's a Red Dwarf episode where the develop flu- the development fluid for photographs has mutated, and they can enter the photographs, although they cannot leave the frame of the photograph. Huh. Huh. I mean, it's not like quicksand common as a plot, but I feel like it's a, sol- it's a solid fantasy slash, I guess, sci-fi plot, because the more sci-fi I become familiar with, the more it's just kind of fantasy in science drag. Oh, yes! Yes, that is what that is what sci-fi is. Now, there is some hard sci-fi that... Is really, really boring. Yeah. Looking but for the you, most... Uh, what are those books called? Not, not mode, because that was just... Uh, but we're talking about them, about those colonies... They're like mode, but not. They're really famous. They're like the name is like mode. You know. It's like. So, give me more, more information. Just gonna quick Google hard sci-fi. It's like certain. The thing about science fiction is that at some point, it becomes fantasy. At some point, you just say the tech can do this, and a scientist did it, because if it wasn't then it would be science fact and not science fiction foundation the isaac asimov books no i don't think that's right either okay google google is not helping me here because it has 
Ready Player One listed as hard sci-fi, which it is aggressively not. Ready Player One is not hard sci-fi. Ready Player One is near future. Ready Player One is where the tech is completely imaginable because it's like the day after tomorrow. Not the movie The Day After Tomorrow, but The Day After Tomorrow. I don't know. Maybe it was Foundation. It, it was this book about like these people who have this colony on this alien world, and it was all just about like all of the science that was required to keep up the colony. Do you mean Pern? It was not Pern. But can, it can was I, aggressively not Pern. But can I bring us around to Pern? Because you're talking about how science fiction is really just fantasy and science garb. Yes. Well, Pern... I said drag. I, I wasn't saying that to be condescending to drag. I want to make that clear. Oh, no, yeah. Drag's not a... That's, drag's not drag, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Pern... Pern is a science fiction story that you can read and think is a fantasy story if you haven't read all of the books. In fact, if you just read the first book, you don't even know it's a science fiction story. Pern is the perfect encapsulation of science fiction and fantasy are basically the same. Or um, the Harper whatever series. You know about that girl who's like Pern's version of a bard? No, it's part of the Pern series. It's not like a accompanying book. I, I didn't think it was part of the main series. I thought it was like a spin-off book. Well, no, no, because the books don't. The, all all of the Pern books are spin-off books. Like one of the cool things about Pern is that there is this world and there is this timeline, and the books might fall on any given point in the timeline of the universe. Like there's no, it's not a continuous story if you read them. Ah, uh, I I didn't read them because a friend whose taste I didn't trust that much recommended to them to me when i was younger and i was like uh you like them so i don't think i'm going to it was um them and the wheel of time series i like a lot of print books they are what they are mm. they are aggressively what they are i can't talk i was into pierce anthony as a kid hard to revisit as an adult yup let's talk about the painted world yes the painted world so the episode opens with Prue in her workiest work shirt, working at work. Okay, Prue is wearing half of a sweater set. She's wearing the camisole that you wear underneath a cardigan, but not the cardigan, which means that she is wearing essentially underwear. She is wearing a lacy cardigan. And you know what? Like, if it works for her, it works for her, but... I would feel so uncomfortable in an office wearing that little clothing. Yeah, it, it really, not to keep going back to this, but it really reads like Rachel trying to go out to uh, dinner in the nightie that she wore in that one episode of Friends when her boyfriend's uh, family came home early and she pretended it was just a dress. That's exactly what she's doing. She's wearing underwear and pretending that it's a shirt. So a woman who is red-haired, what do you say red-haired? <laughs> A red-haired woman is trying to sell her this, uh, paint, well, trying to get the auction house to sell this painting really quickly because it's cursed or something. She doesn't let us know now, but she's like, I really need to get it out of my house. I just, I need to get rid of it so fast. And Prue's like, well, you know, we need to do stuff like... Authenticate it? Yeah, and she's like... Hey, remember in Feats of Clay when they didn't need to authenticate it? Yes. So... I guess Prue learned her lesson. Yeah. So the woman's like, well, when you're authenticating it, you'll keep it here and it won't be in my house anymore, right? And Prue's like, yes. And the woman's like, fine, whatever. Just get rid of it as soon as you can. She's like, I don't care about getting the highest price. Just get it, get it gone. So. Yeah, spoiler for the end of this episode, but 
the whole plan was the plan was always to get the charmed ones trapped in this painting. Mm. So, or you know, I think getting them trapped is just a side benefit, but to get them to get him out of it. Yes. So the woman runs screaming out of the room as soon as Prue agrees to, you know, authenticate the painting. Which, by the way, is going to include x-raying it. Yes, it is. I, I'm i really disappointed we don't get Bucklands for long this season. I don't. Bucklands is such a great opportunity for the girls to come in contact with mystical items. I mean, we saw this in the admittedly fairly bad uh, plot where... Phoebe was briefly working for Prue and she got a premonition off that necklace about the missing girl. And then she was like, oh no, we had a plot, so I guess I better quit. This is just too much excitement for me. I don't... I, I th- And they didn't even really do that plot. That plot was so weird. Yeah. It was like half a plot. It was like the episode was running, I don't know, seven minutes short, so they needed to come up with kind of a... Like, jammed in subplot. See, I felt the opposite. I felt like the episode was too long, so they gave us the first part of the plot and the end of the plot, but not the middle part. Actually, I've been thinking that Prue's only working at Buckland's for a few episodes in season uh, two, but she might actually just drop it when season three starts. When she becomes a photographer? Yeah, randomly out of nowhere. I mean, it's fine. We're millennials. We're sure, certainly not trashing people for... Jumping careers unexpectedly. Yeah. But it's just, this would be such a good source for plots as we see in this episode. Yeah. So, now we get into Phoebe's plot in this episode. Okay. Yes. Prue looks at the painting and sees something suspicious. And then we cut to Phoebe, who is talking to Piper. Yeah, so she crashed Prue's car. Yes, she borrowed Prue's car and crashed it just like Prue thought that she was going to do in uh, the season one finale. Yeah, oh, that's true. Yeah. And in Morality Bites, remember? In Morality Bites just last week when they heard the crash outside and Prue was like, oh, did you park my car on the street? Yeah, I, uh, I want to point out Prue is the one out of the two of them who's actually been in a car accident. Well, where, well, while she was in a car. Phoebe prevented a car accident in the pilot and in uh, the ghost episode. Yes. So, okay, she crashed the car. She doesn't want Piper to tell Prue that she crashed the car because she's going to take care of it and get it fixed. And she's going to pay for it. And she's going to pay for it with this job that she applied for today that she's definitely going to get. Now, to be fair to the show, this doesn't work. But, Phoebe, you lived in New York. How do you think jobs work? You applied for the job today. When do you think you're going to get the money? Best case scenario, they hire you on the spot. You start working the next day. It still might be up to three weeks before you get your first paycheck, depending on when in the pay period you start working. Or even longer if you get paid monthly instead of bi-monthly. Like... Maybe she's going to put a, a, a tip jar at this coding place, it oh, seems like. Oh, Yes. Let's talk, yeah, yeah, let's talk about the job she's applying for. Well, let's, let's get a little more into the conversation. Piper is very much not up for doing the middle sister thing of being the peacekeeper. I love how the show established Piper as the middle child peacekeeper, only to have her turn her nose up at it every time there's an argument. 
every time there's a fight, she's like, nope, you guys deal all, you guys deal with it yourselves. I'm out of here. So Phoebe arrives at her job interview, and she's basically the only woman there. Everyone yeah, is it's very... a sea of white guys in suits because it's a coding job. Yeah. Everyone is very professional looking, and Phoebe seems surprised that other people are applying for this job she's like why are there so many people here are all of these people applying for the job and the woman at the front desk is like yeah but don't worry about it if you ace the aptitude test you're in for sure it was a very different economy in 1999 so we cut to two very blonde people a man and a woman both in business suits right phoebe's wearing a knit t-shirt but these business suit people are talking about oh this shan't be a problem. I majored in computer wizardry when I was at Harvard for seven years. Oh, Harvard? I was at Stanford. All, all to make Phoebe feel, you know, underqualified. Which, to be fair... She is! She's not qualified for this job in any way, shape, or form. Like, what, what, what was she thinking? Should have stuck with working for that lady who just wanted to cheat on her husband all day. Right? I mean, it seems like it would be a fairly easy job. Phoebe is Phoebe's definitely qual. Phoebe is very qualified to be an assistant to a real estate broker. Like, uh, honestly, I know that her eventual calling is going to be as Ask Phoebe, but Phoebe very much gives me a real estate agent vibe. I could totally see her going down a different path if that woman had been slightly less cheating on her husband (laughs) yeah so back at prue's office prue is fascinated by this painting it's it's of a castle it's fine it's fine yeah i i I like it's a little uh i like it it's like gothic honestly it looks kind of screen printed like i mean it it's it's fine it's okay well so you know those paintings like um that they sell at framing stores that are like a film of print on top of a painting so that it has like a weird kind of 3D effect. Mm. I don't know what that's called, but do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, kind of, yeah, kind of, yeah. Well, that's what this painting actually is. So they can do the effect of Prue looking at it and seeing one of the windows light up and a guy in the window trying to get her attention. Hmm. Curious that. Yep. Normally, normally in paintings, guys don't stand at the window and try to get your attention. Just in case you weren't aware of that. Yes. So, yes, someone is stuck in the painting. I feel like if you're a per... I mean, this is this is a really basic thing, isn't it? Spoiler alerts for the episode, the guy's evil. But, like, isn't this just a thing in media in general where... Uh oh, someone stuck somewhere is asking for help, but oh my god, they're actually evil. I feel like that's fairly modern. I feel like the ring kind of ushered that in. Mm. I just feel like it shows up in a lot of stuff. Anyway, uh, we have neighbor Dan and neighbor Jenny in the opening credits. Uh, I was going to say, I think it does show up in a lot of stuff, but I think this would have been one of the first places it showed uh, started showing up. Mm. But maybe that's not true. The true evil was the friends we made along the way. <laughs> so we go to our customary 
seven million years. I of... didn't. I didn't see how long it is in this this episode. I, I didn't do my I didn't do my thing and see how many seconds of establishing shots we have of San Francisco. But feels like a lot. It feels like a lot. It's it feels like a full minute. Also, oh boy, this song. Yeah, uh, I don't I don't know what they're going for right now, honestly. It really feels like what they're going for is someone's nephew had a band. Oh, mean, mean. <laughs> anyway, we come to the manor the next day, and Prue is trying to tell Piper about what she saw in the painting, and for some reason, Piper is being dubious. You've been a witch <laughs> for over a year. This is not even close to the weirdest thing you've encountered worse than dubious she's like bored by this thing she doesn't believe she's like okay free whatever i have real issues like trying to get this nightclub opened because for some reason i'm opening a nightclub because as you know my dream is to be head chef at a restaurant (laughs) yeah she's like prue i don't have enough time to care about your imaginary painting guy i need to make sure everything's up to code in this thing i sunk all of our money into which i honestly think prue should probably be more concerned about too Right? They took a mortgage on their house to pay for P3. (laughs) So Phoebe comes downstairs and she's like, sorry, I couldn't find anything about people being trapped in paintings in the Book of Shadows, which BS, there's nothing about people being trapped in the Book of, in uh, paintings in the Book of Shadows. Come on, that has to be like a relatively common thing in a world with magic, right? Yeah, right? Well, I guess... I guess maybe Hallowell women don't concern themselves with people trapped in paintings. Although, uh, honestly, if I was a witch in this world and, you know, didn't have access to the power of three, therefore could only vanquish, like, what, a third of demons? (laughs) Yeah, that's how that that math works. Okay. There's so many demons that need power of three spells. How anyone got anything done? Well, they didn't vanquish anyone. They just trapped them inside of amulets for the the charmed ones to deal with later. Yeah. Like... Honestly, trapping uh, demons in paintings would probably be, like, my go-to thing. (laughs) Wow, okay, now I'm imagining, like, a witch who owns an art gallery where, like, every painting has a warlock trapped in it? Yeah, I mean, the incantation's pretty short. I'm into that fanfiction. I want someone to have written it. But... It's also not helped by the fact that there is actually a passage about this, but it's in Latin, which... I have questions about when I'll bring them up when we get to the part where they're talking about it. But mm-hmm. so someone's just writing in the book in Latin. Okay. Anyway. Okay. Okay. So Phoebe's like, okay, gotta go. I researched the book and now I gotta go. And Prue's like, um, what about my car that you borrowed? Cause I need my car. Because how did you think you were going to hide that? For how long did you think you were going to hide that? Yeah. And Prue's like, you ran my car into a pole and phoebe starts doing that thing that some people do where to curtail someone being angry at you you start you know aggressively smack talking yourself yeah i don't think she's doing it on purpose probably but she's like i know i'm the biggest idiot on earth i'm so i'm just your irresponsible baby sister i get it i get it and Prue's like Okay, like, we have public transport, this preference, it's San Francisco, I I can just use a different car to, like... Yeah, they have two cars! Prue is weirdly not upset about it, she's like, she's like, okay, well, I'm not happy you crashed my car, but whatever, it's fine. And Phoebe runs crying out of the room. It's, it's a weird dynamic, (laughs) especially because, like, based on what we've seen in previous episodes... 
Phoebe is not out of line to assume that Prue is going to overreact. Yeah, Prue loves freaking out at Phoebe over very minimal things, so it's kind of weird that in this case she doesn't. <laughs> she, she, she turns to Piper after Phoebe runs crying out of the room, and she's like, what was that about? And Piper's like, I said I'm not getting involved in any of this, and I only have to not get involved for the next year or so. And Prue's like, what? And, Phoebe, and Piper's like, never mind, oh, leaving. Dark, dark. <laughs> she's going over to neighbor Dan's because... Neighbor Dan, as a man in Charmed, works in construction. Yes, yes. Because all men in Charmed have man jobs. Yeah, right? They're cops, or they're construction workers. Or they're handymen. Or they're ha- basically, basically, you can't be a love interest in Charmed unless you could have been one of the village people. Mm, mm. The mm. one exception being Cole... Which is fair because well, he's, he's a, evil. He's a devil. That's yeah. So well, he's then, a lawyer. What, what's more manly than that? But it's evil manly. Yeah, evil manly. I knew there was a reason Cole was my favorite. Also, probably because he's the most complex character Charmed ever came up with. Also, because he's so charismatic. He is. Oh, I can't wait till we get to Cole. I can't either. I wonder. <laughs> I wonder. Uh, she was happy for a second, and then she changed her mind. I wonder if we're going to be able to tell how Australian Julian McMahon actually is. If it's one of those things, you know, you don't notice until you're like, because I don't think I was aware of him as being, you know, not American until. I definitely wasn't. So we will definitely see how that goes. Like how you're like, wow, um, what's his face? House. <laughs> Hugh Laurie. Yeah. Hugh Laurie's really good at doing an American accent. And then you're like, but is he though? Well, I, I think with most accents, it's. You're good at it, but then there's, like, one or two vowels that come through, and you're like, wait, wait, hold on. Yeah, there's some aggressive Canadianness. Some actors can never quite seem to hide. Shake, yeah. yeah. So Piper is going over to get free labor from her neighbor. Yeah, well, she wants him to take a look at P3 and see how much it would cost to actually get everything up to code, because she's got a whole stack of code violations. Yes, and Neighbor Dan's being all 90s sexy with his... Floppy hair. Floppy hair and his tank top and shark's tooth necklace. Max is not joking. That's what he's wearing. Is is he like a professional surfer? Is that is that? I mean, I know he's not. He's a construction guy, but he's a contractor. Hmm. So he's just hanging out, dressed like this, and I guess it's the morning. Yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's the morning because we see neighbor Jenny running off to school. Yes, neighbor Jenny's like. Bye, Piper. I'm going to show up for a little bit for, like, a not-even-quasi-subplot. Okay, so speaking of Jenny's subplot, Neighbor Dan tells Piper that he will help her out if, ex- if, if in exchange, she will talk to Jenny about the birds and the bees for her human reproduction paper. Okay, so Jenny's been in, what, two episodes at this point? We're, yes. We're three episodes in. She's been in two, and both, both of the episodes are about changing bodies. Yes, well, she she needed Dan to get her tampons in the first episode that she was in, and now and now she has a paper she has to write about human sexuality, like. What were they going for with this character? Well, I mean, I guess they were like, "What would a male uncle be really uncomfortable talking to his niece about?" And they were like, "I don't know, periods and sex," and I I don't know. 
Piper's all like, oh, I know a lot about sex. I mean, I mean, I know a lot about talking to teenage girls about sex. I, I mean, I mean, and I'm just like, what? What, what do you mean, Piper? You've talked to people before, <laughs> is, right, Piper? What is happening? I... Uh, was Neighbor Jenny supposed to, like, appeal to a younger audience or something? I, I don't get what her... I, I think her purpose was to bring... No, no, she wasn't supposed to appeal to anyone. <laughs> God, harsh. I mean, she's fine. Whatever, she's fine. I think her purpose was to bring the girls into Dan's orbit by being something that was out of his... Ballywick that they could jump in with which is really sexist right like he's he's an adult man he can he can handle normal parenting things uh, uh, presumably or else her parents wouldn't have left her with him well there's a later episode where uh the a baby gets abandoned at the police station and the sisters have to take him in because they're women who know a police officer Oh, sure, sure. And apparently there's... Well, Daryl's a dad. He can't do this. And apparently there's no one else in the police office who's capable of doing it. Also, there's apparently no female policemen, if that's going to be the way we're going with this. Well, let's... Although, Daryl has kids. Why Why is he like, oh, I guess I better... Or why, why do the police have to take care of this baby anyway? Right? Social services should have come immediately and taken that baby. And, and... I mean, we'll, we'll get to it when we get to that episode, but... Okay, like, just, just to preview it, though, I like to think that Daryl sent the baby to the girls to be taken care of to get back at them for all of the crap he makes... for all of the crap they make him deal with. Mm. Mm. But... <laughs> Sam agrees. But as of right now... Really, I, I really wish they had done some more with Jenny or not had her as a character in the first place. As is, she's just this kind of awkward interjection episodes have for the next few episodes. Well, I, I really, you know, like I said, she's meant to bring the girls closer to Dan because now there's a thing that the girls can help Dan with. But Except they don't. Except they don't. Yeah, number one, they don't. They really, really don't. But also, it makes him so unappealing to be like, oh, yeah, I'm so incompetent at handling even the most basic things that you have to deal with with a teenage girl. I'm a man who only does man stuff. How can I help my niece write a paper about human sexual... Why can't she write her own damn paper? She's taking the class. Right? Well, she even says when she meets up with Phoebe, I, well... Let's keep going because we'll get to that scene. I have thoughts about that scene. Yes. So we cut back to Prue and the screaming redheaded lady at the office. And the redheaded lady tells her that the painting has been in her family for a while and it's cursed and it kills everyone. And it's this cursed mega death painting that kills people. And Prue's like, I knew it. Yeah. Prue's like, ah, magic. This is something I can do. I in my slightly more appropriate for work shirt. Now she's wearing a spaghetti strap tank top that doesn't have lace around it, making it clear that it's an undergarment. So, baby steps? Yeah. Baby steps. I don't want to please what women wear at work, but... But this demonstrates to me a complete disconnect from reality between the costume department and, like, reality. Yes. So the woman thinks that there's definitely a ghost or something, that she's seen a man in the painting, and she thinks 
He's trapped in the painting, and she kind of drops the whole painting being cursed thing. It's weird. She establishes it, and then she's like, but there's definitely a man trapped in there. No, no, I think I think the idea is she was saying it was cursed because that's more socially acceptable than there's a man trapped inside of it. But now that she knows Peru is on board with a man being trapped inside of it, she's like, oh, okay, cards on the table. There's definitely a man trapped inside that painting. I'm sorry, I was wrong. She does cycle back to it being cursed and how... Everyone who owns it goes insane, which... I mean, that's just a lie, but sure. Yeah. Also, if it's been passed down through your family and everyone who owns it goes insane, maybe you just have, I don't know, a genetic predisposition towards certain mental problems. Like... Okay, I see where you're coming from, but there is a man inside that painting. Also, I don't know why I've said that because it's a lie and she's a... You know, she's, she's a warlock. She's a warlock who's trying to get her cursed lover out of a painting. So, I guess it. I guess her backstory doesn't need to hold together at all. Right. Okay. Okay. Can we go back to the manor because I want to talk about Phoebe's plotline some more. Okay, this is fun, and this is the sort of thing they should have done more of. I think. Oh, well, what kind of thing do you mean specifically? You know, just goofy one-off spells. <laughs> Well, a problem with doing goofy one-off spells is that you've got that pesky personal gain problem. But Phoebe comes up with a brilliant workaround here when she writes her spell for her smartness spell. So Phoebe's in her room writing a spell. Okay, she's writing a spell. We're not going to hear the whole spell until a little later in this scene, but um, I'm going to bring it up so that I can read it. Because it's terrible. It's so bad. Hmm. I mean, I thought so. Did you think so? Did you not? You... The meter was so off. Yeah, okay. To be fair, she hasn't cast the smart spell yet. Oh, burn. Yes, yes. We should explain what the spell is that she's casting. Hmm. So Phoebe, feeling that if she were smarter, then she could A, get the job to pay for the car accident, and B, would not have caused... The car accident in the first place, which I'm sure tons of smart people are bad at driving. <laughs> right? That's uh, so weird that she associates that with being not smart. Like, Also, smart is sort of hard to quantify. That's a whole rabbit hole we don't really have time to go down. All right. S- smart's not like a measurable thing, no matter how much of our... No matter how much people like to pretend that it is. Yeah, true. Okay, you ready? You ready? You ready for the spell? Sure. Spirits send the words from all across the land. Allow me to absorb them through the touch of either hand. For 24 hours from 7 to 7, I will understand all meaning of the words from here to heaven. Oh, and P.S. There will be no personal gain. Brilliant. Okay, so... First of all, she no-homoed personal gain. Yes. Remember, you can do whatever you want as long as you say no-homo afterwards, and it's perfectly heterosexual. Also, you can do whatever you want, and then as long as you add no personal gain at the end of it, there's no personal gain. Also, also, this isn't really a smart spell so much as a skill-absorbing spell. Yeah, yeah, like... Or knowledge-absorbing, I guess. Yeah, she has that power that that one character in Heroes had, where as soon as you touched a book, you knew everything that was in the book, which is an awesome power to have. But that's not the same thing as intelligence. Yes. 
So anyway, she's composing this brilliantly written spell when Piper starts banging on the door and demanding to get let in. And Phoebe's like, can it wait a second? And Piper's like, no! And she bursts in to tell Phoebe that the auto repair shop called and uh, the the car's going to be ready in a bit. And it's going to cost $1,200. This really did not seem like it's the sort of thing that Piper needed to barge into Phoebe's room while Phoebe's telling her not to, to tell her. Well, she, Phoebe says, are you going to tell Prue how expensive it's going to be? And Piper's like, yeah, Prue already called them, so she already knows. It's a weird moment. It's like, I, I don't know what they're trying to do here. Yeah. Okay, so Prue, okay, so Phoebe tells her brilliant plan to Piper, although as you said, to be fair, she hasn't cast a spell yet. So it's, I guess it's okay that she has a terrible plan. Mm-hmm. And Piper's like, what are you going to do once you get the job that you can't do? Yes, because the aptitude test was a take-home thing. Well, that's fine. That makes sense to me. But the thing is, if you can't do that... How are you going to do the job? Because she points out, she's like, this: the smart spell only lasts for, what, 12 hours? 24 hours from 7 to 7. Because remember, she rhymed 7 with heaven? Oh, God, yes. So... Uh, she's like, it'll just be long enough for me to get the job. And Piper's like, and what happens after you have the job? And Phoebe's like, that's for future Phoebe to worry about. Yeah, she's like, I'll just learn it then when I need it. Like, I, I... What's funny here is I happened to see a tweet last week while we were uh, getting ready to record this episode talking about how there's a real problem in the tech sector that everyone is a coder so people who don't know how to manage are managing, mm. and I don't know, I'm just, I'm just thinking maybe maybe Phoebe does have the skills that are needed for the job, just not the job she's going out for, if that makes sense. Didn't, didn't we literally learn last episode that it's a bad idea to use magic to get what you want? Oh yeah, the... we literally did just have that episode, didn't we? I mean, are we going to get the same future, except instead of the dog poop shoe guy... It's going to be one of the tech bros that Phoebe edged out for a job. Oh my god, too real. So Phoebe casts the spell, and then she absorbs a dictionary and shows that she knows... I think it's an encyclopedia. I'm pretty sure it's a dictionary. It it seems like a bad move on her part. Wouldn't an encyclopedia be better? She's just testing that it worked. This isn't to code. Hmm. No, no, it's definitely a dictionary, and I say this with such uh, confidence because it's the Webster's that I had in my house growing up. Ah. Uh. The brown cover with the little indented uh, letter pages so that you could see where everything started. Yeah. And she, we see her absorbing it like a, like Dark Willow. Yes. And then she, she recites the definition of abca and zygote. And of course, that just makes me think of The Simpsons. Yeah. Aronson and Sikowski are the two biggest gossips in town. Now that we've let them know, they'll let everyone know. That's really one of the best jokes ever written on The Simpsons. It is. Uh, And they kind of do it again later, again with Patty and Selma. And it's like, you already did this joke, but it's also been on the air for 11 million years. So I guess you're going to hit. And it's a classic bit. So. Oh, yeah. Now you're right. Now it's a classic. Anyway, so back at Buckland's. Other people work at Buckland's this episode. What? Okay, so I this Pru- guy, this uh, guy. Okay, so is he Prue's assistant or is he like the office 
intern? Is he a junior guy? I think he's just a junior guy at the office. Like, he ran the painting down to the x-ray machine for Peru, but I don't think he worked specifically for Peru. I think he was just, he's just some junior guy, and she was like, hey, take this down to the x-ray. Okay, he would be my MVP extra if he didn't get lines, because that look, it is such a look. Oh, he would be my time freeze if I didn't have something else. So let's talk, but because specifically the look. Yeah. He's got a giant, wide, wide paisley tie? What is it's, it's, like, it's checked. It's like electric blue and tan checked. Yeah, on top of his very, very cerulean blue shirt. His big, poofy cerulean blue shirt. That he's wearing tucked in with a belt. Which like, he's wearing tucked in with a belt to tight black pants. It's such a 90s look. He's like some sort of office pirate. That was the look in the 90s. I miss women with giant... I know it, it's the more of an 80s thing. I, I miss women with giant, giant shoulder pads. It needs to make a comeback. You need to look like you could body check someone. I mean, I'm not a fan of giant shoulder pads, but I, I respect I respect the, uh, the aesthetic. Mm-hmm. So, he has come with the x-rays of the painting for it, Peru. Mm-hmm. And it turns out that... There were words underneath the painting when they x-rayed it. Mm. So the text is in Latin. The words are in Latin because, you know, Latin. The words are absplovo amito amplus grievous semper mia. And as you know, when you come across weird, mysterious things, weird, mysterious artifacts that appear to be magical that have hidden land... That have hidden Latin incantations on them. Of course you read them out loud. It's like, Jesus, Prue, are you new here? Is this your first day of witching? Seriously. Seriously, Prue. But. She also runs over to the painting and she notices that the words help have been written into the window. So she's like, okay, well. Clearly, this guy needs help, so the answer is to read the incantation. <sighs> really, Prue. Not, not, not gonna do any more. I, I mean, I guess she did some research into the, or Phoebe did anyway. Some <laughs> research. Into she, the... she found nothing though. So she reads the incantation and gets immediately sucked into the painting into a hallway where fireballs are being shot out of somewhere. The walls, I suppose. Yeah, it's a big gothic dining room with fireball traps. Because, you know. As one does. Right. Why not? So she's trying to dodge the fireballs and (gasps) there's a dude in here. Yep. Yep. She's like, yes. She's like, who's there? And then this Victorian looking guy shows up and is like, wait, follow me. And then he's like, so I guess you read the words and got trapped in the painting too. And she's like, oh, God, this is such a, this is such an amateur move on my part to just read the words and get trapped in the painting. Anyway, the guy's name is Malcolm, and he's a total dick. Even yeah. before we find out he's evil, he's a total dick. Everything down to his aesthetic says dick. Yeah, he's like, he's like Victorian doctor is his aesthetic. Mm. And uh, he's like, you know, I was hoping you would save me, not get yourself trapped like a stupid woman. 
Not getting any points right off the bat. No, no. Although Prue does redirect one of the fireballs that comes flying at them. And now he's like, oh, I'm sorry. Like a stupid witch. So, because, you know, he, he hates witches. As one does. He takes them to a bookcase that has a secret thing where you, you know, you pull one of the books out and then it opens to a secret passageway. And uh, that's uh, th- that's where they hide out. Yes, as they escape into the secret bookcase, it is Kit Watch 2020. Not only do we see Kit, which we do back at the manor, but she's going to be vitally important in this plot. I think this is the most important Kit ever is in this show. Yeah. Or at least this is the biggest role she ever gets until we get the Kit getting turned into a human episode later. Oh my goodness. Anyway, so we're back at the manor. It's the next morning. This is a big episode for talking about what people are wearing, so I'm just going to tell y'all what Phoebe's wearing this morning. Uh, overalls over nothing. Well, she's wearing a tube top, but you can't really see the tube top underneath the giant overalls that she's wearing. I'm just saying it's a big, it's a big episode for 90s fashion. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, Piper's all like, what's going on? Have you seen Prue? Because she doesn't appear to be home. And Phoebe... Phoebe, Phoebe, it's like, well, you're dumb to worry because I'm smart. So I'm very smartly going to rattle off a bunch of statistics at you about how it's unlikely that she's in danger, even though her statistics aren't taking into account the fact that she's one third of the charmed ones and warlocks are trying to kill y'all all the time. Yeah, she's like, well, you don't need to worry because only 10% of women her age are killed in car accidents and you know, there's only 30% of blah, blah, blah. And it's like, this is how you write a smart person on a kid show if you want kids to know that they're smart. She sounds like Ben Shapiro. Like oh a my stupid God. person's idea of a smart person. Yes. Ugh. Ugh. Yeah, that, that, is, that is what she, she... She is a stupid person's idea of what a smart person is. And like you said... All of the things she rattles off have nothing to do with the fact that there are constantly demons trying to kill them. Like, what are your statistics for that, Phoebe? Anyway. Because, spoiler alert, Prue isn't killed by something statistically measurable. She's killed when a wind demon blows her through a wall. (sighs) Anyway, Piper's got to go to the club to deal with all of the... (laughs) I love how Piper, like gives her the stink eye and then she's like you know what i don't have time to deal with this i think it's notable that piper is wearing an actual business suit she's wearing you know oh a pantsuit white pants white blazer actual blouse underneath and i feel like this is a direct repudiation to how unprofessional both phoebe and prue are this entire episode yes because they're dealing with witch stuff the business stuff is kind of the the car that gets us to the witch plot. Whereas Piper is completely uninterested in any witch stuff that's happening this entire episode. For Piper, this show is called How Piper Got Her Building Permit. I mean, this is sort of a through line with Piper throughout the series where she's like, I don't have time for dumb witch crap. I've got a business and later a family to take care of. I feel like this is the first episode where that really comes through. Mm. So, we go back to Prue and the largest dick in the universe. 
Uh, before we do that, Piper's going to go off to the club, which means that Phoebe is going to take care of neighbor Jenny's... Sex report? Sex report. God. Neighbor Dan, just let your niece, nearly said daughter, just let her do her own homework. This is not something she needs help with. She's, yeah, yeah. It, it's it's a clunky, it, this is a clunky car to get us to an unnecessary plot point. You know how Piper could have gotten over to neighbor Dan's? She could have needed his help with the club. Yeah. Which, she, there's literally no point to this character being here. Oh, anyway, back in the, back inside the painting. The biggest dick in the universe is explaining that he was dating a witch named Nell and... He dumped her, so she trapped him in a painting, and Prue's like, yeah, I can see it. He's got, like... I, I've spent, like, five minutes with you, and I want to trap you in a painting. Not not five minutes! No, okay, so he's, like, holding her at bay with fireplace tongs. I mean, she's not trying to come at him, so it's ridiculous that he's holding her at bay with fireplace tongs. But she mentions that he's been doing this for 12 hours! For 12 hours, he stood there with fireplace tongs and was like, no closer, witch. Anyway, she finally wears him down and is like, let me look at that cut on your head. And he's like, I've had plenty of them in the hundreds of years I've been trapped in this painting. Well, decades, not hundreds of years. He's from like, what, 1970? I'm sorry, 1917. Yeah, yeah, I think he's from like 1917. Okay, well, let's dig into this. Let's just stick into this for a second. Can he die? Can he die in the painting? And if he can die in the painting, why is he worried about dying in the painting? I feel like after the first year or so, I'd kind of be ready to just jump in front of a fireball. Well, actually, that's not true. There are plenty of books in that bookcase. Assuming those it's Beauty and the Beast without that giant mopey dude ruining everything. Assuming those books are real and not like Great Gatsby books. Yeah. Well, no, great. No, no. Jay Gatsby had real books. It's just that he had never opened them, hmm. which you know because they're not cut. They're not cut, which is fine. He can he can cut the books. But assuming they're not like blank pages or or you know, yeah, they're not decorative books. Assuming his ex girlfriend threw him a bone while she was trapping him in the painting, or rather, the witch that he was not dating at all. Yeah. Yeah. Spoilers. But I mean, it... also, I mean, he, he seems to be pretty safe in this area behind the bookshelf. Yeah, honestly, it's been a it's been a really it's been a really busy time at work. Mm -hmm. I you wouldn't mind being trapped in a painting with nothing but books for a while. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. I mean, I'd miss you guys, but <laughs> I do love how little patience Prue has with this guy, because I feel like normally in this kind of situation, Prue would be having you know, subtext with a guy she was trapped in a painting. There'd be, like, all these erotic overtones, and then, oh, no, he's actually a demon. But she's just kind of pissed off at him. Which is good. That is the right response to have to this guy's attitude. Yeah, it's not, ooh, intriguing. Yeah, no, he's not, he's, he's not, he's not a tortured soul that she needs to save. He's just a dick. He's just some smarmy dick someone trapped in a painting. Yep, yep. I mean, he hasn't exactly had time to uh, bone up on his social skills. It's true. That is definitely downside to not having anyone to talk to for however many years. Yeah. Decades. Okay. Although he's like, 
well, I suppose I might as well not tong you to death since we're going to be here forever. And Peru's like, no, I, I have two witch sisters and they're going to get me, you know, out of here. And he's like, oh, they're not just going to get trapped in here like you. And I mean, honestly, if they did get trapped in there, couldn't they write a spell to get out? Right? Like. Phoebe could. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I guess they haven't done a ton of it yet, but I'm kind of surprised Prue doesn't try. I'm trying to think how often we really see through the course of the series Prue and Piper writing spells. I feel like we really only see Phoebe and then later Paige writing spells. Okay, so I know I know Piper does one in the Headless Horseman episode mm-hmm. where like Phoebe or Paige or whoever leaves her like at magic school with the kids after she gets her head cut off. And she's trying to gain control of the class, but no one's listening to her because she's just a head and she turns one of them into a frog with a uh, spell she makes up. Got it. Got it. I mean, that that's when we're in the... Uh... Yeah, we're in the magic school season at that point. Yeah, which... Uh, but... So we go from the painting out to P3, and I just... I, this is weird to me. I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm just overthinking it. Mm-hmm. But... The list of things that Piper still needs to do before she can open, it seems strange to me that they already have the P3 sign up. Thank you. I was like, really? You put you had someone design and then put up a sign before you, like, fixed the heat? It seems really cart before the horse, right? Yeah. And it's, it's a neon sign that she went and had made. People are just, they're going to get used to thinking it's not open by the right? time it opens. But I guess... I guess that's so that we, the viewers, know that we're at P3. Hmm. So, Phoebe is there with Dan, and she's wearing a hard hat because she is less smart now, and smart people wear hard hats when they're addressing code violations. Smart people wear hard hats because things are dangerous, and she can accurately assess risk now, as we previously saw when she said that Prue was definitely not in danger. Because of the percentages. Ugh. But she's talking to Neighbor Dan about all of the stuff that needs to get fixed, and Neighbor Dan's like, I didn't know you knew so much about construction, and she's like, I know about everything now. I know everything about everything. I read a dictionary. We're assuming that she book sucked a bunch of other stuff yeah yeah well we, we know that she at least book sucked well we assume she book sucked something about coding and we know that she book sucked something about the reproductive system based on the scene we're going to get later with jenny i mean the last word that she said was zygote from the dictionary yeah that's true it's true anyway piper the reason that phoebe is dealing is dealing with dan at p3 is so that piper can look for prue why wouldn't they do that why in reverse? Why yeah, why did Phoebe go look for Prue? Yeah. I, I guess because Phoebe was the one who was all like, she's not in danger. I am very smart. So Piper goes to the office and sees that Prue is not here. Uh, she sees the writing on the... Uh, the x-ray? Yeah. And uh, then, in a, then the uh, assistant guy, junior partner... Yeah, we get his name, which is which, which is Joe Lyons, because he comes in and he introduces himself to Piper. He says he met her at an auction earlier so that he knows that she's Prue's sister, so he doesn't freak out about this stranger in Prue's office. I, I like him. He's he's a good enough filler character. I wouldn't mind if he became reoccurring. Yeah. He doesn't, I don't think, but... 
I just want to point out he's wearing the exact same outfit as yesterday, except with a pink shirt and tie instead of a blue shirt and tie. Okay, because I was like, he's changed into a slightly less uh, aggressively 90s look. It's a slightly smaller shirt. It's not, <laughs> it doesn't look like a strong wind would pick this man up and blow him far away. Anyway, he comes in and... He says that he's here to take the painting and Piper's like, ah, so sorry about this and freezes him. Hey, you know what? Good. Fine. Fine. So now Joe Lyons is going to be the one burning Phoebe at the stake. <laughs> because from his perspective, she's like, sorry about this. And then she and the painting disappear. Yeah, that is what happened. Also, we establish in this scene that he doesn't know where Prue is. So Prue's not like working overnight at the office or something. Yes. He, uh, he says that Prue must have left last night because. Yeah. And she hasn't been in today. So we cut to inside the painting. Malcolm, the guy in the painting, Malcolm and Prue are going to try to get to the window and write a message on it for Piper and Phoebe. But now that Piper is moving the painting, they're getting all knocked around. God. I I was going to say I was going to make an analogy to what this is like, but I think this might be too specific an analogy, but I'm going to go ahead and say it anyway. Go for it. So, the Sims mobile game, Sims Free Play. Mm -hmm. If you're playing Sims Free Play, if you shake your phone while you're playing it, the Sims feel it and fall over. <laughs> anyway, that's what it is. <laughs> so, Prue comes up with this, you know, plan where she's dodging and telekinetically getting the fireballs out of her way. Why couldn't she just telekinetically write on the window? Ooh, maybe it would be too precise. She's getting she's getting better with big stuff, but I think precision is its own skill. So she's probably just not there yet. Mm, eh, I don't know. She's moving the cat around and stuff. <laughs> yeah, that's that. I feel like Prue has a forgetting to use her powers problem. Well, I mean, that's that's got to be the case in all magical shows. Otherwise, the magic would be a pretty all-encompassing solution. Yes. It's why Willow does nothing but make out with Kennedy for the ma for the vast majority of season seven of Buffy. Right? She would have, if she had been on top of her game, she would have knocked out the first in episode, like, three. Yeah. I mean, let's be clear. The first plan was awful anyway. Oh, I'm going to take over the world by releasing an army of super vampires that can only come out at night and have basically all of the pro... They have all of the weaknesses of regular vampires, except they need to be—they uh, don't need to be invited inside. So also, like, their sternums are harder, so it's slightly harder to stake them. Yeah, it's slightly harder to stake them, and they can go into buildings uninvited. This is my army I'm going to use to take over the world. Okay, wait, 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 wait. I want to get back to Charmed, but before we do. Do we know they can enter places uninvited? Because all I can remember is the episode where, is the episode Showtime where they set up the scenario where the potentials see Buffy fighting one, and they're preparing to fight it, and someone says, I suspect these guys don't need an invitation. But I don't think we ever see them enter a house uninvited. No, it goes into their house. It goes into their... Remember Willow creates the shield when it's Oh, in right, house. right. It does break... Okay, okay. Yes, yes. But, like, I mean... I just remembered Buffy bringing it to the construction site. I forgot it broke through the shield first. Yeah. But, like... That was really how you're going to take over the world slightly stronger than normal vampires. I don't think the 
deal is that they were slightly stronger. I think the deal is that there were millions of them. Which, it seems like you'd run into an issue pretty soon. Also, like, A, how are they going to get from the United States to other countries? Walking along the bottom of the ocean. I guess. It seems like you'd run out of people pretty quickly in this case, in this situation. Also, like, they're weak to sunlight, and I know I discussed this on my Twitter, Willow had the, like, I mean, she didn't finish it, but she was coming up with that ball of sunshine spell in season five, which is basically what Spike does at the end with with that amulet of whatever. Like, all it takes is one halfway competent witch being like, pocket of sunshine spell. Blah, whole army decimated. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So, basically, maybe evil needs to cast a smart spell. Well, I, I... Evil, evil does contain the seeds of its own undoing. And also the first can imbue someone with its power to become super strong. And it shows Caleb. Well, just, I feel like the, we talk about glory, but I feel like the first has way more inconsistency issues than. Oh, I don't think glory is inconsistent. Glory bothers me because she's so all powerful. But this isn't welcome to the Hellmouth. Let's, no. let's get back to the Hallowell Manor. I could talk a lot more about how much I dislike the first, which I didn't really realize until we were rewatching. Oh, and there's a secret council of all female watchers, oh. and one of them's immortal, and, you know, we find out about them, and then she gets killed three minutes later, and then they're never mentioned again for the rest of the series. Okay, let's not get into that, because I like the idea of the secret council of all female watchers, because I think that the fix for season seven, the thing that would make season seven a brilliant season of television which i already really like it honestly but i think the thing that would make it a brilliant season of television is if the first had been the little bad and the big bad had been the watcher council which is a thing i feel like the show hints at and doesn't quite go to well because they all get blown up like four episodes into the season yeah but the evil that the watcher council had done in creating the slayer is like a generational evil that would have been a much better thing to follow up with than the stupid firsts you know army of super vampires yeah and the the thing that defeats the first is undoing what was done by the watcher council by spreading out the power of the scythe the thing that defeats the first is an amulet angel found in a desk drawer that he tosses to spike yeah i love how when buffy's escaping spike's like you did the bulk of it. This is just the cleanup. And it's like, no, it's not. You're incinerating millions of vampires. That's not the cleanup spike, but okay. Yeah, they killed like 40, which is a lot, of the super vampires. But honestly, you could have just put the thing on him and then waited until he was about to explode and threw him in the hole. Well, I mean, I think the deal is they had to hold the line. They had to fight off the vampires long enough for the amulet that Spike was wearing to charge up. And it wouldn't start charging until they started attacking. Okay, so there was a very specific scenario that had to start for this for yes. this to work. Yes! Hey, you know what, what would have worked? If you had just had Willow cast that shield spell around Spike and threw him in the hole. Well, the shield spell would have had to last for like 20 minutes, and I don't think that it would have lasted that long. Again, if Willow was half... If Willow was as competent as she was in any post season i don't know one season 
I'm just saying season five Willow could have kept that up. <laughs> anyway, back at the manor, Phoebe is watching Win Ben Stein's Money. Mm. Okay. I did not know Jimmy Kimmel was a the- part of that show. I watched that show all the time when it aired. Mm. So for our listeners who are not olds like I am, the conceit of Win Ben Stein's Money was that it was your typical trivia show, right? Question and answer trivia show. But you were competing against Ben Stein, who at the time was known just as the Bueller guy from Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Mm. The guy who's like, Bueller? Bueller, because he had that voice. Because he had that monotone voice. He showed up in a bunch of stuff because he had that monotone voice. Isn't he like... A wild right-wing conservative? Yes, but he was not known for that at the time. Yeah, he's one of those, you know, COVID is a liberal myth. You need to inject bleach into your children so secret cabals if Democratic senators don't suck the life juice out of them. Well, guys he, now he's he was a he was a speechwriter he was a he was a right wing he was a conservative speechwriter even before he did ferris bueller's day off he's always been a conservative it's just his ideology was not widely known at the time he was just known as the bueller guy and it was kind of kind of the joke of win benstein's money was that people didn't know that he was an actually smart guy <laughs> okay i'm Speaking for, for certain for certain definitions of the word smart people didn't know that he was actually a smart guy so it was like oh wait this guy actually does know a lot of trivia facts and then at the end of win ben stein's money like he actually did get the prize money they actually did give it to ben stein if they didn't give it to uh god the the contestant anyway win ben stein's money is like a perfect encapsulation of what stupid people think is smart so it's very appropriate that phoebe is watching this show and not for instance like jeopardy jeopardy and just knows all of the answers and look i used to watch this show pretty regularly when it aired on comedy central and they were not super hard questions but piper is still like oh my god how did you know that which country used to be constantinople Oh my god, you knew it was Istanbul? You must be some sort of super genius. Okay, also, just to just to share a piece of information that you would only have if you were going through a massive depression in 1999. Mm-hmm. But Comedy Central only had 12 hours of programming. And they would air those 12 hours, like, twice to create 24 hours of programming. Which means, so, when Ben Stein's money would be on at say, 8 in the morning, and then that exact same episode would be on at 8 in the evening. So if you were going through a depressive episode, you might watch all 24 hours and see the whole thing come around again, just saying there are other ways, even than knowing most the most basic trivia facts, that Phoebe could know all of these answers. Also, this seems like, if Phoebe's watching uh, Win Ben Stein's Money, couldn't she have gone to check on Brew? <laughs> Like, clearly she literally had nothing else to do today. Like, Piper had an appointment. I I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, but Phoebe knows what hematology is, so... God, it's so weird to see young Jimmy Kimmel in this. Yeah, yeah. But... Yeah, so Phoebe knows what uh, the study of blood is, so Piper's like, okay... 
tell me what's up. And Phoebe's like, I cast a smart spell on myself. And Piper's like, we, we literally, we just had an, you burned at the stake last episode. What are you doing here, Phoebe? And Phoebe's like, no, no, it's okay. I very smartly said no personal gain. So it's fine. And Piper, I, I think, I think we missed. Yeah, we, we, we addressed this before where Piper points out that, you know, what's going to happen when the smart spell wears off and you have a job you're in no way qualified for. And Phoebe's like, I want to point out that she claims this isn't personal gain because she's going to get the money to help pay for Prue's car, which is the exact same argument she used when she used her powers to do the fortune telling. Hmm. She said it wasn't personal gain because she was going to use the money to buy a present for Prue. Yeah. Huh. Which, I mean, uh, personal gain's stupid anyway. We've, we've talked about this a lot, but... She also says that... If you're doing a witch show, let them do witch stuff. I know, right? Uh, she also says it's really great to be smart because smart people are respected and taken seriously, especially smart women. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's not like smart women are demonized or, you know, constantly torn down by society, as is my understanding of it. I'm sorry, the show is about witches, which is, like... The metaphor for what happens to smart women. I feel like... Whatever. Moving on. Moving on. (laughs) If a woman can do math, she's going to get burned at the stake for being a witch. Yeah. Like, I mean, look at um, Hedy Lamarr, who was like, we would not have computers the way we have computers these days. She invented Wi-Fi. Yeah. She invented Wi-Fi and people only know her for being an actress. Well, and that's why she wanted it, because she knew that that's how she would be taken seriously. And look at how Ada Lovelace was completely overlooked by history. Yeah. Mm. Anyway. I mean, well. Yes. So, but yes, according to Phoebe, if you're a smart woman, then uh, there's no limit to what you can do. So speaking of smart women being super smart, as Phoebe (laughs) walks away, Piper picks up the x-ray of the painting again and for the second time reads the latin on the x-ray and gets sucked into the painting and phoebe's like oh my god i better run over there and read that latin she doesn't but wouldn't be surprised well i think she was gonna run over and try to like grab a hold of piper so she didn't get sucked in but too late she got sucked into the painting yeah so Piper is running around the room, fireballs are flying at her, and and she's so mad at Prue. Prue does save her, though, by, by diverting a fireball away from her. And then another fireball comes and she freezes it so that Malcolm can see both of their powers. And Malcolm's like, don't tell me, she was the sister witch who's supposed to save us. <laughs> I'm Malcolm. Shut up. You've been trapped in this painting for almost a hundred years. Calm down. Yeah. So. (laughs) Piper is complaining. We go to commercial and we come back with Piper complaining that she doesn't want to be stuck in a painting for the rest of her life with a broken shoe. And Prue doesn't say, hey, you're not going to age in the painting. Look at Malcolm. And Malcolm's like, yes, I'm not a warlock. I'm just not aging because of the painting. Piper is like, hey, it's okay. Phoebe will save us because she's super smart. And Prue's like, no need to be a bitch. 
Yeah, Prue assumes that Piper's joking, but Piper goes on this like long rant about how brilliant Phoebe is, and Prue's like, really, really, really? And Piper's like, she cast a spell! A smart spell! And uh, they need to get a message. Piper's like, we need to get a message to her. Which because it, the smart spell ends at seven o'clock, so they need to do that like right now. Okay, I'm. It's and we know from the clock on the wall that it's six fifteen. They've got forty five minutes to take advantage of Piper's. Sm- They've got forty five minutes to take advantage of Phoebe's smartness. Speaking of, Phoebe sits down and she sucks all of the information out of the Book of Shadows. Okay, if I had cast the spell on myself, where as soon as I touched a book, I knew everything in it. Even if it wasn't relevant to what I was doing, I probably would have touched the Book of Shadows first. Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely. Make you some sort of uber witch. And just to, like, know what's in there, because... There's a lot of information, and it's not organized particularly well. It is not indexed at all. So, Phoebe is sucking all of the information out of the Book of Shadows when, whoa-oh, Jenny. I love how she hides the book under the dining room table the really really high dining room table that doesn't have a back or anything well, so. she sets it on the shelf that's underneath the dining room table like completely visible to anyone who walks in didn't even put a magazine over it or anything yeah so okay wait are, okay we're gonna th- talk this about... is my favorite part of the episode it's the greatest line reading in the history of charmed so they're going to try to get a message to Phoebe through the windows, and they figure with Piper and Prue's powers combined, they can get through the fireballs and such. Yes, so Piper goes over to the window, and it turns out the fireballs are not the only thing they have to worry about. They also have to worry about swords that come out of the wall and impale you. And Piper avoids the swords and shouts, Blades! Okay, you didn't quite get it, but that's, that's fair because... It is a very bizarre but awesome read. I just, I love the way she's like, Blades! Hold on, actually, I, hold on, I'm gonna play it. Blades! <laughs> yes! Blades! <laughs> That's it. It's perfect. It's great. It's like the perfect amount of, like, the edge of hysteria because, like, are we really doing this? And, like, genuine terror and also what what i thought this room was just fireballs this is a hat on a hat yes i also love how she tells prue this is why you don't help people (laughs) that will later become her uh her mantra yes so prue telekinetically forces the blades back although as you pointed out when you were watching this episode wouldn't it make more sense for her to Wouldn't it make more sense for Piper to freeze them than for Prue to telekinetically hold them back? Yes. And she writes the name of What's-His-Bucket's witch girlfriend who... Nell. Nell, who trapped him in the book. She she starts to write it on one window, and then... Prue tells her, you have to write it backwards, remember? And then, I like this, Prue takes the frozen fireball and telekinetically moves it in front of the window to illuminate it. Yeah. So, Jenny interrupts uh, Phoebe, you know, scanning the Book of Shadows, and she's like, you know, I actually know everything I need to know about sex to write this report. I just wanted to hang out with you because I hate Neighbor Dan so much. My uncle, Neighbor Dan. Neighbor Dan, my uncle. Like, okay, no, this is important. This is the second time that she's kind of reached out to Phoebe. 
And, and it's the second time Phoebe kicks her out of the house. Yeah, she's like, hey, I just need an older big sister figure to kind of help me through this really difficult year of my life. And Phoebe's like, yeah, yeah, call me if you need me. Go. Bye. <laughs> yeah, Phoebe, uh, Phoebe does not want to spend any more time with uh, Jenny than she has to. Jenny notices that the painting's like lighting up and Phoebe's like, yeah, it's a... It's a special painting. We got it at a head shop. So let me uh, let me just write this homework out for you so you can go home. And Jenny's like, but I just said I, I don't need you to do my homework. Yeah, she just wanted to chill and like watch TV and, and like drink soda and, and paint her nails with Phoebe. But instead, Phoebe draws. Oh, my God. Okay, wait, wait, wait. Can I... Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. so Phoebe starts to write out like a really technical description of what happens when when cells reproduce. And then she's like, wait, no, sorry, that's too, that's too advanced. It's really not. And then she just draws a picture of, of an egg with hundreds of sperm swimming at it. And it's like, here you go. She has, it's amazing. She has a circle, which she labels us and about four or five sperm swimming towards it that she labels them. No. Okay. It's hundreds of sperm. It is a lot of sperm. And why she she that out. And she draws a smiley face on one of the sperms, on the one that's closest to the egg. It's hilarious. I would, I would love if Jenny would turn that in as her paper, but I'm sure that's not what's going to happen. Meanwhile, what's her bucket? The redheaded lady who gave Prue the painting is watching the Hollowell house from across the street, and she puts on sunglasses, so she'll be more inconspicuous because there's nothing more inconspicuous than someone wearing sunglasses sitting across the street from something yep yep so now that phoebe has seen the word nell in the window of the painting she looks at the book of shadows again looking for nell and finds the story of nell trapping a warlock in the painting by taking advantage of the fact that he had x-ray vision and would look at the latin behind the painting and say the words so Basically, the trap that the two sisters fell into was the same trap that Malcolm fell into. Yeah. Which... Stop reading Latin out loud, people! She Mr. Mixel Pitlicked him. Yes! Yes, she did! Anyway, the spell to release people from the painting is also in the Book of Shadows. <clears throat> and so Phoebe needs to figure out a way to get the spell to her sisters, and she comes up with a plan. Okay, so... I did love her plan. She, did she have the cat read the thing in Latin out loud? Because Kit Watch 2020, she grabs Kit and somehow gets her th- sucked into the painting. Okay, so I assume she read the painting words, but stepped back so that she didn't get sucked in and then threw the cat in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. As soon as the sucking starts, she just threw the cat in. Yeah. She could go in herself, I mean. Yeah, she could have. She definitely could have. But she doesn't. She puts the She puts the words on the cat's collar... And throws Kit into the painting. Meanwhile, inside the painting, Prue and Piper are suspicious of Malcolm because they're like, how can a man with no powers somehow write something or show up next to the window enough so that he could be noticed by both us and the redheaded lady? Well, I mean, how did he survive, basically? Yeah. How did he survive the fireballs and the blades and all that? They're bu- now, it's important, they're behind the bookshelf in the safe space. He's out in the dining area, which means he is the one who finds Kit. Yes, and uses her to escape. Kit does the thing that she does where she hisses at Warlocks, where she hisses at him and then does- lets him do whatever he wants. Well, she's a cat. What's she supposed to do? She could she- scratch him. She weighs like 10 pounds. Anyway, what- She could run away from him. 
she could not let him pick her up and take the uh, spell off her collar. Yeah. Anyway, once... Kit being real passive here. Yeah, I guess. Anyway, once he has the collar, he taunts the sisters by letting them know he's a warlock by blinking around like warlocks do. Good Mm. continuity. Yes. Blinking. A warlock power for warlocks. Yeah. And uh, he casts the spell and comes out of the painting where Phoebe is waiting. And he's like, ah, you must be the super brilliant witch sister. Wasn't so brilliant of you to give me the way out. And then Phoebe's like, well, you know what What was brilliant of me? Sucking the information out of a Billy Blank's kickboxing tape. Yes. <laughs> She's really good at kickboxing all of a sudden. I mean, she was already pretty good at kickboxing. Uh, she uh, she mentions that she, it, it wasn't a Billy Blank's kickboxing video. It was like she sucked in all of these different martial arts manuals and now she's the best fighter ever. I do really like, I really like how he's got like magical powers and stuff, but she's just kicking and punching the crap out of him and it's way more effective. Yeah. Like. She, she non-magically kicks him and he like flies back like through the room. And he like teleports behind her to stab her and she just kicks him into a wall. Like, She's like, I'm a seventh degree black belt in every martial art ever, and you're just some guy who has magic powers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, he says, you know, I'm going to go and join my warlock girlfriend, who's the woman who brought the painting to Prue in the first place, and uh, we're just going to wait 20 minutes until your smart spell wears off and come back and kill you then. Hmm. So, why couldn't she just cast it again? The smart spell? Yeah. She totally could. Well, that, that would be personal gain then, though. Because then she wouldn't be casting it to get money for Prue. Then she would be casting it to make herself strong so she could defeat the warlock. Wouldn't she be casting Wouldn't she be like, I'm casting it to get my sisters out of the painting? Mm. Is that still personal gain? Yeah, it's They're still her pers- sisters. Yeah, it's personal gain still. But, I mean, getting Prue a gift was personal gain. Slash. Fixing the car, though, wasn't personal gain. I mean, it was. It absolutely was, but... I don't know. Anyway, back inside the painting. uh, Back inside... Prue and Piper are talking about how Phoebe actually is smart in her own special way, which... She has street smarts. She lived in New York. (laughs) Yes. And they're like, that cat... Sending the cat in with the uh, spell was all Phoebe. It was so smart, which... Maybe don't say that about the thing that immediately failed and freed the warlock. (laughs) Like... (laughs) Yeah, that's a good point. It's a, good, it's a good point. If she had just come herself, then, you know. You could have just punched the warlock and then the three of you could have gotten out of there. Yeah, so. She's so brilliant, you can tell by the way she did something which just failed spectacularly. Yeah. So, Phoebe's trying to get the information out of the book again because the spell has worn off. But she can't read it because it's in Latin. I, okay, I, I actually like this. I like that she was able to read the text the first time. And the reason she can't just turn back to that page and get that information back again is because it's in a language she can't read. I think that is a good non-cheat for her to not be able to just immediately have access to the spell again. Who's writing this stuff in Latin, though? Is Nell! There... Clearly Nell is just... Nell was the pretentious Hollowell. Nell was the pretentious Hollowell, yes. Also, Grams is not on helping mode. Well, I mean, all Grams does is open the book to the right page. It wouldn't be helpful. It's still in Latin. Mm. So, Jane, the female warlock, and Malcolm come back inside because it's after seven. 
and Jane has the fun fire fingers power that we saw, you know. Yeah, so she sets the painting on fire to kill Prue and uh, Piper. And Phoebe grabs the two of them and says the getting sucked into the portrait spell. So now they're all sucked into the portrait that's on fire. Yeah! And see, this is the sort of creative thing I like because, you know, they all fall in and Phoebe rolls over to Prue and Piper and uh, she's like, hey, guess what I got when we were falling into the painting? Yeah, she got the, uh, she got the collar with the spell written on it. She got it because she knows how to be a pickpocket. She lived in New York. She lived in New York. Anyway, the girls grab Kit. They almost forget to grab Kit until Piper's like, get the cat. And Bruce's like, oh my gosh, I almost forgot the cat. And they read the spell that zoops him out of the painting and Malcolm and What's-Her-Bucket burn to death. Yeah. And this, yeah. This is the sort of creative vanquish I like. Like, honestly, the creativity of that last bit, it gets me... I, I wish they did it more in Charmed. Yeah. Instead of just doing a rhyming couplet that banishes a demon, like, trap them in a painting that you burn up. Or, yeah, that trap them in a painting that they set on fire. Right, because then you haven't killed them. They died as a result of their own actions. Then it's just, then it's just consequences. It's not, uh... It's instant karma. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I mean, I don't even like to call it karma because karma is like a spiritual cosmic thing. This is just literally the consequences of your own actions. Me reaping, me sowing. Exactly, exactly. Anyway, back at P3, this is such an inconsequential thing, but i got to talk about it. Okay. Dan is like, so here is the estimate that Phoebe prepared, which is going to take me months and months and cost you millions of dollars. But honestly, I can get this place fixed up in a couple of days for... 40 bucks and a can of Schlitz. So I guess the idea here is that Phoebe absorbed the building codes, so she's like, here's how to do it correctly, here's how to do it best practices, and Dan's like, no, no, I'm just gonna cut the corners that as contractors I always cut, and uh, get this done for you in a realistic fashion. And as real as that might be, I'm not, I'm not loving them shining a light on it. Yeah, like, I'm going to fix this just enough so that you don't get shut down, like... This is a solid D. It, it'll get you enough to get open and cram a bunch of people in here for the first fire. God. Anyway, then Dan wants to talk to Phoebe about her contribution to Jenny's essay. And it's, he's like, um, maybe this painting, maybe this picture was a little much. Maybe not so much. Maybe let her do her own homework. And I'm like, what? you asked them to do her homework for her or to help her with the whole yeah whatever what do you want neighbor dan exactly what do you want anyway that's what i i i don't care because we get to see the drawing again and it's still hilarious shut up and go get married to angie Harmon. does neighbor dan marry angie Harmon? the actor i'm pretty sure the actor's married to her in real life oh interesting yeah in the show though he is being introduced as a love interest for Piper, and we see because the episode ends with Phoebe showing the other two girls the picture and showing the egg and being like, look, Piper, this is you. And And this is Dan. (laughs) Which is weird because we definitely got the impression that uh, 
Phoebe was into him last, or the last episode he was in. Well, I think they're both into him. Yeah, it's the Leo situation all over again. Yeah, exactly. But they bought Phoebe a bag as thank, a bag and shoes as thanks for getting them out of the painting and also to show her that they believe in her. I just, just to say, it's just to say thanks. I, it, uh, Prue says, don't you think they're very smart looking? So that we can all go out on like a uh, high five freeze frame. <laughs> but they also talk about her maybe going back to college, which will be briefly a subplot for a little bit. Yes. So they're like, look, I know, you know, you're feeling bad about not being smart, but you are smart. You're just not educated and you can fix that by going to college. Yeah, you just don't have book smarts. So, you know, here's yeah. a book. Yeah, it's not like... It's not like only one of us has a job that's actively making money at this point, and the other one just opened a really high risk, uh, a really high risk business that uh, you know we have a lean on our house to afford. Yeah. Like now is the perfect time for you to go to college. I mean, it was college in the '90s, so it was like twenty bucks, but yeah. So I guess that's gonna do it for this week. Yeah, that'll about do it. I know we spent a lot of time ragging on it, as we always do with every episode of everything we talk about, but I really like this episode. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, no, I think that that matters. This episode is fun in a way that some in a way that some charmed episodes will not be. Yeah, and like all of the characters are likable and you know, no one's being a jerk for no good reason except Malcolm and I, he has a good reason which is that he's an he's evil, evil warlock. Yeah. Yeah, like everyone's likable. It's a sort of fun witchy adventure and I, it's the sort of thing I wish the show had done more. Yeah, there should have been more one-offs like this. So, let's talk about our segments. All right. So, we have our own personal power of 3 and unlike Phoebe, we have premonitions this week. Oh yeah, Phoebe of. doesn't get any premonitions. She just gets to be super smart. Yeah. So, I mean, we already kind of talked about well, it. Well, can we talk about time freeze first? Oh, yeah. I guess we'll do time freeze first. This Specifically because my time freeze is Win Benstein's Money, which feels like a very 1999 show. Oh, yeah. That was like the heyday of uh, game shows, wasn't it? Because who, like, who wants to be a millionaire, the weakest link? Like, game shows were going through a thing at that time. Well, I mean, even, even... Even Comedy Central felt like they had to have a game show. So, yeah, definitely. And Windrenstein's Money, of course, brings us to the premonition, which is why I wanted to talk about Time Freeze first. Uh, unless, what, did you want to bring up your Time Freeze? Uh, no, my Time Freeze was just uh, Mr. Lyons' outfit. Ah, yes. And Phoebe's overalls, because overalls really feel like they've been out of fashion since the late 90s. Or 90s in general, I guess. But go on. So, uh, yeah, premonitions. Uh, when Ben Stein's Money starred, and we saw on screen both Ben Stein and Jimmy Kimmel. Jimmy Kimmel, of course, goes on to, after this, to be a late night host. And he was previously doing this and The Man Show. Mm, and I Which feel, I can't imagine has aged well. Oh, no, no, no. But I feel like he really has a second act as a celebrity with Late Night. Oh, yeah. Like, you don't think about his early career at all. Yeah. Unlike, say, Adam Carolla, where Adam Carolla feels tied to the man show in a way Jimmy Kimmel does not. Mm. God, they can't talk at all these days, can they? Oh, I can't imagine. Well, speaking of, okay, so 
Ben Stein, as I mentioned when we were talking about Win Ben Stein's Money, is a right-wing commentator who was not really known for that when Win Ben Stein's Money aired, but now he's just doing increasingly right-wing things. And the thing I wanted to bring up is a movie that he made in 2008. Oh, God. Do you know this movie? I know he did one of those, like... Is it Devin Nunez's S movies about, you know, oh no, Hillary's America or whatever. It's called Expelled, colon, No Intelligence Allowed. Oh, the intelligent design movie that, yeah. Here's, here's the description from IMDb. Dear Lord. Author, actor, and political commentator Ben Stein poses the argument that intelligent design and evolution are both valid scientific explanations for the development of life on earth and that institutions that don't embrace both views are guilty of stifling academic freedom stein makes his case through film clips interviews with creationists and scientists and his own acerbic observations including the opinion that darwin's theory of evolution is responsible for the holocaust and let me tell you this this, this description makes it sound like that's what it is. That is a turn halfway through the movie when he's like, oh, and by the way, if you believe in evolution, the Holocaust! You're, you're familiar with this movie? Oh yeah, I saw this movie. Wow, I, I was about to say, I would rather have, I don't know, a bad thing happen to me than see the movie. I was going to say acid beetles burrowing under my skin, but... Look, I, I think I would rather. See I watched a movie the movie than that. in two thousand and eight when it was a different time when you thought that this was a fringe view that wasn't going to gain traction and you could just laugh at it. Mm. Yeah, it was a different time. Uh, he uh, there's there's one particular sequence where he's talking to, I think it was Richard Dawkins that he's having this interview with. Oh God! But it's it's kind of comedic because he's like, so you don't believe in God, and he's like, no. It's like, so not any god. It's like, no. So, like, not even, like, the Hindu gods. No. So not even, like, like, the, like you don't even believe in in any god at all? And this is just, like, completely, he, he can't get to his, he can't get his mind around the concept of atheism. He's like, okay, but you believe in the devil, right? It's like, no, no, there's no god. Anyway, Ugh. Ben Stein. Yes, Ben Stein and Jimmy Kimmel. I don't think... Two, two men who at one point intersected in their trajectories and then went in vastly different... <laughs> and then went on vastly different tracks. Hmm. So that would be it for premonitions. Yes, that's it for premonitions. I don't think anyone else really became anyone. And our last segment, telekinesis, what genuinely moved you? This was not an emotional episode by any stretch of the imagination. It was not an emotional episode. Blades! Yes! Blades! Like, I I love that reading so much. It got me, not in an emotional way, but I don't know. It made me very happy. I could just listen to Holly Marie Combs say that line over and over again. If this wasn't the year 2020 and I didn't have my phone on silent all the time, I think I would make my ringtone just Holly Marie Combs saying blades <laughs> on like repeat. Yeah. All right. So I guess that will about do it. Yeah, I guess that's it. Uh, next time we're going to be talking about the episode, The Devil's Music. Ooh, yes. ooh, I have no memory of this. Leo lures the manager of Dishwalla to P3, 
aware that the manager has made a pact with a demon that grants him fame and fortune in exchange for innocent souls. Now I remember this one. This is Neighbor Jenny's big episode. Meanwhile, Daryl soon becomes involved when he investigates the mysterious disappearance of young women from many of Dishwalla's past concerts and suspects that more will disappear when they next perform. Was Dishwalla a real band? We should do some research. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's a real band. Huh. And they were okay with their manager being betrayed as someone feeding young girls to a wall demon? Well, I mean, I think they're... It wasn't their real manager. Yeah, but I mean... It's not a great look for the band, is it? I... I guess not. I guess not. Anyway, yeah, they're, they're a real band. Hey, it's the popular band that you like, and they only got popular through human sacrifice. I guess their song that you would know is called Counting Blue Cars. I'm sure I will recognize them when we watch the episode itself. Um, I just googled to get their... I just googled to get their discography, and one of Google's frequently asked questions is, is Dishwalla a real band? Wow. Does not bode well for them. Which means I believe that most of the searches for Dishwalla that are coming, you know, in 2020 are from people watching Charmed. Wow. Really does not bode well for them. So that'll about do it for this week. Yes, our show is partially listener-supported. If you want to be one of those supporters, you should head over to our website, www.welcometotelevision.net, and click on our Patreon link. We'd like to thank our current $5 and above patrons, Beryl, Patricia, Sam, Cassidy, Alex, Alicia, Ryan, Maracruz, Rosa, Javier, Benjamin, Kyle, and Kate. If you'd like to support the show in other ways, you could always rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps other people find the show. If you'd like to talk about this episode, or any episode, or any episode of any television show, you should join our Facebook group, Welcome to Television. We can also be contacted at I Love TV Zines on Twitter, or at I Love Television Zines at gmail.com. So until next time, I'm Tina. And I'm Max. And this has been Welcome to the Hollowell Manor. <laughs>